Dr. Shino Bay Aguilera. Um, he is a board certified dermatologist and dermatologic surgeon. Um, Dr. Aguilera has uh, a lot of experience in not only dermatology, but he's also an international keynote speaker on the newest laser advances in cosmetic techniques, and also has tons of experience in running uh, FDA clinical trial studies for a leading laser manufacturer. So welcome to the show, Dr. Aguilera. I'm so excited you're here. Thank you for having me here. It's always exciting to talk about skincare. Absolutely. I would love it if you could tell us a little bit about your background. I know I covered it very, very, um, I skimmed over it, but I would love to tell our listeners a little bit more about you. So um, I started my career as a laser expert. Actually, even before I got into dermatology, I just had such a great passion for for laser technology and laser medicine. And uh, and that caused me to want to be a dermatologist because at the time, only dermatologists and plastic surgeons were doing aesthetics or at least lasers. And uh, that was yeah. my, my venture on on um, on the world aesthetics. But I always love uh, skincare and always been fascinated with skin. Um, reason why? Because I think um, the skin basically is a good way to measure health uh, all the things just yes. you know, it's never yeah. never gonna people are never gonna stop caring about what the skin looks like because it's on our primitive brain where we know that when people are looking at us the the prim primitive brain is serving the skin to see if you are of good reproductive age like you have 40 eggs or one egg or no eggs <laughs> or, or yeah. also what kind of health status you are you know yeah yeah Absolutely. No, I completely agree with you. And I think the skin is such a reflection of, you know, like you said, like the rest of our body and the rest of our health, especially something like gut health. You know, I know there's a huge um, movement right now where people are talking about using probiotics more and whatnot. But I actually, I want to ask you about lasers because I don't know anything about laser treatments. And I would love it if you could tell our listeners some, you know, some tips and some advice for people who are beginners um, when it comes to laser uh, you know, techniques and, and what to do and how to approach that. Yeah, so lasers are great and they've been around for a long time thanks to the, to the great work of Albert Einstein. And basically it's a light that has a preference for a target on your skin. So that's why mm -hmm. different wavelengths. So the way I like to explain lasers, like imagine you have a rainbow. Mm -hmm. uh, out of that rainbow, you get a yellow light. Well, that yellow light is close in wavelength of um, the light of the pulse light laser that lights things that are red. And then let's say you get on the green light and they see that this green light has preference for things that are brown. So you can get a target that is going to be matched with a particular color of the visible light spectrum. So really in order for us to get a laser to work, the laser light, that green light needs to have affinity for the target. Let's see pigment yeah. on skin, like freckles. And the freckle also have to have affinity for that light. So it's like a marriage made in heaven. Yeah. The light gets attracted to the target. The light turns into heat above yeah. 40 degrees Celsius and destroy. We nook things with the laser. Interesting. That's very interesting. So you, the way you're describing it though, it sounds like a ligand receptor relationship, but um, yeah. you know, that's interesting. Unfortunately, so, in relationship, somebody dies. Yeah, I know. 
Well, I want to know, um, actually, I want to follow up question is, um, what are some of the differences uh, that you've noticed in patients with more melanated skin versus not? I mean, I know that's a very um, buzzworthy topic these days in skincare. So are, can you tell us about some differences you've noticed or some differences in laser treatments um, yeah. between the two? That's a great, great question because, you know, and, I, and I'm very happy that I mean, I'm Latino, but I'm very mixed. Uh, my mom's Chinese and Costa Rica. My father, Spanish, Portuguese, uh, Native Indian, and Black. So I have everything. Wow, you are quite, <laughs> and quite I'm skin, ethnic. Yeah, and I have a, a dark olive skin tone. And uh, yeah, you know, that's a very important question because usually we use Fitzpatrick skin types, which is uh, different, uh, it's a scale that we use to kind of predict who should use more sunblock to prevent skin cancer, but we also use it to use lasers. So you have to be very careful with the darker skin types, not to use a laser that's more too aggressive because it can lead to pigmentation. That's why I really love uh, for darker skin types, things like the Vivace and things like that, that's radio frequency with microneedling, where we don't depend on light because it is safer to do devices like that, like microneedling radio frequencies on the darker skin type, because the problem with dark skin type, yeah. if some, whenever there's inflammation, it may lead to pigment. Let me use myself as, as an example. When I get, if I get a pimple, the pimple yeah. goes away, but I can get a brown spot that can last me six months. So yeah. it's very, very important to, when you are looking to do an energy device, you need to understand the, the, what type of skin do you have, what color skin you have, and what devices are safe for skins you own natural skin tone, because not every laser will work on all skin types. Right. So what are some of the techniques that you love for hyperpigmentation? Well, there's so many things depending on the hyperpigmentation. Uh, we can do chemical peels. Those are great. Um, uh, if the pigmentation is not something like terrible, like melasma, you can yeah. use lasers that have affinity for melanin. And you can also have things like uh, microneedling with radio frequency in combination with agents that you add immediately after you do your, your little microneedling opening. So the product mm -hmm. sips in into the dermis deeper and it helps bleaching out the skin in the areas where you need to. There's so many ways to treat hyperpigmentation from um, um, topical creams, yeah. that things natural like kojic acid and licorice and to more um, aggressive things like hydroquinone and trimexamic acid. You know, there's a lot of different chemicals that bleach out the skin cystiamine and then a lot of devices that will do so as well. So I have a question about, um, you know, like in terms of hyperpigmentation, when you treat it, does it cause like a lightening effect in that area where, you know, because, you know, in vitiligo, for example, is very extreme. You have the light and the dark patches um, because of the disease. Now, when you get rid of hyperpigmentation, what's left behind? Your normal skin tone. So usually imagine, think about hyperpigmentation that is caused from sun damage or from a scar, you know, like, or a pimple. These yeah. are things that are secondary. It's not your natural pigment. So when you use these bleaching agents or energy devices, you just remove the pigment that is there. Imagine that you just got a natural tattoo with brown 
in the area where you have the injury or the area where you have some damage or the area where you have the melasma. So you yeah. only bleach out the extra exogenous or the extra uh, pigment that is not your natural skin tone. That's very interesting. Now, I actually want to um, ask you, you had mentioned radio frequency earlier for darker skin types. What is the difference between radio frequency and light therapy? I mean, is, uh, in terms of, is it just the wavelengths that you're using or the, it, the amount of damage you're inducing? What is the real difference? So in, in ter physical terms, when you're talking about lasers, it's just a light that yeah. turns into heat. Right. Radio frequency it also has a certain type of wavelength, but again, it's radio frequencies so it works more on those levels of things that you want to think maybe like sound and then you have things like 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 ultrasound like old therapy right it's ultrasound yeah. at the end of the day whether it's light that turns into heat or sound that turns into heat um it is uh, it is a mechanical force yeah mechanical force that is an energy that turns into something else so Remember uh, another of the things that our wonderful uh, Albert Einstein uh, led us um, to play with is that energy is never created or destroyed, it's always right. something else. So in laser, you have light that turns into heat, and then you have other devices that are sound that turns into heat. So um, it's really the amount of heat that is released in the reaction, right? That's that's the difference. Like, is that? Uh, well, it's, it's the... No, is the me the me like for example in lasers there's different lasers right that create yeah. different wavelengths. If I use a pulse dye laser, which is a dye, that yeah. will create a yellow light that lies oxyhemoglobin. That's why it's good for blood vessels, right? So you can you can use a gas CO2. The CO2 laser is a gas that will emit a, a wavelength that goes after the water under the skin. So is the medium that generates a, a, a wavelength and that wavelength will turn into heat. When you wow. talk about like acoustic waves, sounds, radio frequency, things like that, it's a different mechanical force that yeah. will turn into heat. Wow, that is so fascinating. I'm sorry, I, I, I kind of picked your brain there for a minute, but I, this is so fascinating to me. I don't know anything about lasers, but um, I want to ask you, um, some advice for people who, you know, they're just getting into treatments, um, you know, like I know in our 30s, we often do that. So, you know, what are some of the most common procedures that you see um, or that people opt for with, with laser treatments? Well, most people always um, worry about the tone and texture of the skin, tone being one, because blemished skin is unsightly for most people. That's why there's makeup and concealer. Uh, a skin that is flawless with, with a good tone and no blemishes. It's a very desired skin because it's a this skin that advertises, I'm healthy, I'm young, yeah. I'm attractive. It's sending all those messages. Um, so people are always going to try to do uh, a laser treatment according to what they see. Uh, right. If you have a lot of red in your skin, then you want to look for a laser that addresses redness. If you have a lot of brown, you look for a laser that treats brown. If you have melasma, you want to find a laser that treats melasma without making it worse, because that can truly happen. Um, right. 
So you're really trying to match what you see. But er, on the early thirties, most people is trying to see that the pores are getting bigger, the fine wrinkles are starting to happen, and there's a lot of blemishes from sun damage that, that you didn't have on your younger years. So right. nothing too aggressive. There are so many devices out there that are gentle lasers that can address your issues without having a lot of downtime. Because when you pick a laser, your lifestyle is very important. I mean, yeah. you want to take off from work for a week or two or a month, or you want to do a laser that you're going to hide over the weekend. So, so yeah. you just don't do anything aggressive. It's very important, the lifestyle of the patient. If you're very outdoorsy, most likely you don't want to do a laser. You may want to do microneedling, you know, radio frequency combined with microneedling, because the mm-hmm. laser, it'd, it'd be a big no-no if you're a person that cannot get out of the sun. Now, after you have a laser treatment, are you supposed to, like, even if it's like a month or two down the line, should you be using higher levels of SPF to protect your um, skin as you would normally before you had the treatment? Yeah, especially the first two to three weeks of the treatment. Those are the first two weeks are very crucial that you do not get okay. some because imagine you're red, you're inflamed because you, yeah. your skin got injured, and now you're adding UV rays. To that, make sure because we know UV rays are not only can be detrimental for the collagen on your skin because it will break it down, causing yeah. a solar scar or wrinkles, but also it can stimulate pigment. So you have a skin that's inflamed, and now you're having a wavelength, the UV wavelength, that has pigment, so you get stained and very, very dark uh, blemish. Uh, is your undoing because you should not go on the sun when you do a laser. Now, I have a question about the science behind um, lasers and especially UV light. I mean, I know that there are there is this thing called, you know, uh, formation of dimers, um, DNA damage that can occur by UV light. Now, is there any risk of such DNA damage with laser therapy for cosmetic reasons? No. Okay. Great question. And the reason why is that laser, the, the laser wavelength that we use in aesthetics and in medicine, there are non-ionizing wavelengths. They're okay. not like your UV wavelengths or your uh, X-ray wavelengths or your gamma X-rays that are, are ionizing. Therefore, they will change your DNA and can mm-hmm. be detrimental in terms of changing the configuration. That right. can lead to... Um, problems with your health like cancers and things like that right right that's why i asked you but that that's really good to know i'm glad that there's no um adverse effects like that um my last question for you um doctor is about the fda clinical trials i'm very curious because i know that um right now in the skincare industry there are a lot of companies who are conducting their own uh version of clinical trials but then i also know that when you're doing it with from the academia aspect there's this huge list right that you have to go through you have to get approvals and all this stuff so what are some of the differences or or key points that um, everyone should keep in mind for clinical trials. Can you share that with us? Yeah, I mean, definitely when we do clin- clinical trials, we're trying to find just two things. Yeah. Is it efficacious and is safe? Okay. They're all doing the same way and they're presented to the FDA because they want to know that the results are reproducible, but also that the patients are going to be safe. And if there's anything negative happening during the trial, well, th- those, those are premises for the product not get approved by the FDA. So 
<laughs> having uh, the seal of approval of the FDA is important because we know how finicky and sometimes fastidious the FDA can be in yeah. approve, approve things. But, you know, safety first. So I, uh, I cannot like that the FDA put a lot of rigorous rules in order to approve things in the United States. Sometimes it's like a little too much, but yeah. it is done with, with good intentions. Now, is there more like options in Europe, doctor, because they don't have the FDA thing, like the, the hurdle of FDA? Do you know if there's like a huge yes. difference in treatments? Yes, yes. A, a, a good example is like HelioCare, which was uh, and when, when HelioCare came into the aesthetic market, which yeah. is a strong block. Um, in Europe, it took almost 10 years to get here to to United States. It's like 10 years for a sunblock. Are you kidding me? Wow. Yeah, um, that's ridiculous. They were trying to, to make sure that the product was safe. You know, there's always also uh, uh, agendas, you know, like I sometimes I feel that there's money to be made when things get approved and that also can Kind of like, yeah, there's a huge, uh, there's always politics involved. There's yeah, always, yeah, you know, somehow, because, you know, it, it's interesting you say that because I wonder about all those skincare lines right now in the U.S. that are just, there's no, you know, regulation at all. And they're unsafe, you know, for consumers. But then you have something like this sunblock. It takes 10 years to get into the States. That makes no well, sense. Well, I tell you how that works. It's like, so you have cosmeceuticals, which are still... It's, common, it's kind of like nutraceuticals, pharmaceuticals. They're not yeah. heavily regulated by the FDA, unless you make claims. Okay. If you make okay. a claim, then the FDA say, uh-uh, I need to. So you cannot create a, for example, I'll tell you an example, because I created a shampoo long time ago because I, I suffer with dandruff and I found this amazing shampoo. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and then went off the market, but I have other, uh, bottles because when I find something I like, I buy a lot of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you never know, and it happens to me all the time. So they took it out of the market. Well, I just like, okay, I have the box, the bottle. I'm going to go and tell people to replicate the shampoo for me because I need the shampoo. <laughs> I love that. Then, that is brilliant. I was a guinea pig. Like It made my dandruff worse. And it was an <laughs> itchy, couldn't sleep. But finally, they got it right the way it was. And uh, so I wanted to sell it in my practice. I'm a dermatologist, but you know, I could not say that was um, anti-itch or anti-dandruff because once I say it's anti-dandruff, it becomes a claim and a medical claim. So oh, the, the FDA, wow. FDA would want to regulate it and it costs lots of money. Yeah, but, you know, yeah, and trouble and all the time. <laughs> And one hurdle after all, because you could do everything right and you pay thousands, if not millions. And, and they have to say, well, we don't like it. We don't like this word. And then you have to reapply again. And then you have to pay the same amount of money. Wow. So, so they, don't even, they don't even refund you. They're just so, like, nope. <laughs> so you know what I did? I didn't call anti-itch or anti dangerous I just call it soothing. Yes. Shampoo. Brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Soothing shampoo. You know? Yes. I mean, it is though, you know, you're soothing the itch of the dandruff. That makes sense. It's, it, I love that. Nice, so I, nice I go around. I able to know how to go to FDA trials and still sell my practice without claims. Of course, behind doors, I would tell my patient, I use this and I would tell the story. I told you I did it because the continuous shampoo is the best thing. But then, you know, it got so like, I just stopped making it. Yeah. 
but I mean, you had a you had a nice little run there for a while of it. I like that. I like how you went about it. But thank you so much, doctor. This has been amazing. I would love to have you back anytime um, if you have any room in your schedule to talk more and really dive into the science. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's great to talk to people about cosmeceuticals, lasers. It's my um, my yeah. passion. So always happy to do it. Thank you so much, doctor. Have a blessed day. You too. Ciao. Ciao. Okay, that's good. And now the next guest, I'll be ready.